welcome to All Talk Oncology. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. Hello, hello, hello. This is Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And once again, we have a phenomenal guest on our show today. And trust and believe, we travel all the way to Budapest today to give you this knowledge. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening in the oncology community. But I feel it's my duty and my job to bring that to you. And when you're talking about immunotherapy and how you target cancer cells, that's a very specific type of treatment. And it's new to a lot of people, but the work in the history is long going. In fact, this next guest has worked with people like the work of William Cooley and his mentor from Sloan Kettering is Lloyd Old. So we're talking about people who are amazing in this industry and in the community to develop new things and working with scientists. And so it's my honor and it's my privilege to bring in today, Dr. Ralph Kelf to our show today. Yes. Dr. Cleve, thank you so much for joining us on All Talk Oncology today. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Cleef, you are an amazing individual. You have worked with so many amazing people in this community. And, you know, talk to us a little bit about your background. Yeah, I, I studied medicine uh, in the late 80s. And um, I was um, introduced to the field of hypersemia, which is heat treatment, specifically for cancer. In the first clinic in Germany, whoever deployed this, this method. And uh, it immediately caught my attention and my heart. I felt this is something very, very special. And um, I've been busy in this field as a scientist and a clinician ever since, since more than 31 years now. I got my original training in oncology in Germany, and then I decided not to follow the path of the classical oncology, but to become an immunologist. And I was lucky enough to get a stipend from the Cancer Research Institute in New York City at Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And um, I spent three years at Sloan Kettering uh, making my so-called postdoc in, in immunology. And the Cancer Research Institute was founded by nobody else than Helen Cooley-Nords. Now, Helen Cooley-Nords was the daughter of William Cooley. And it was William Cooley, you find him in Wikipedia, who brought the idea of fever therapy of cancer to the planet. And when I met Helen Cooley-Nord, I was in my early 30s. She, she was in her late 70s, and we clicked immediately. Now, this Cancer Research Institute had, had a scientific director, and this was Lloyd Old. Lloyd Old was also the chief of immunology at Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And this was a very happy conjunction of individuals because all these people had been of great influence in my life, of tremendous influence. So basically, following the, the, in the footsteps of William Cooley, I feel we are standing on the shoulders of a giant. Dr. Cleve, could you talk to us a little bit about immunotherapy? This is new to a lot of people. Some have never even heard of it. What exactly is it and what type of cancers can you treat with it? I mean, immunotherapy basically is to harness the power of the innate and the acquired immune system. These are two different parts of the immune system to fight a given cancer. That's the basic idea. We understand that the phenomenon of fever 
is very intrinsically linked to the ability of the body to fight cancer. If you ask 100,000 cancer patients, tell us when in the last 10, 20, 30 years did you have a good fever, like a normal fever? Uh, the majority, 98% would tell you fever. I don't know what you're talking about. So immunotherapy is very closely linked to the phenomenon of our organism to develop fever. And in our modern society, don't develop fever anymore out of three reasons. One is a over-vaccination of small babies, too many vaccines. The second is that as soon as a fever comes, every mommy, every puppy will give antibiotic drugs, fever-lowering drugs, at the re reflex, get down with the fever. And number three is, of course, the uncritical use of antibiotics. And that's why over more than 100 years in our evolution as a society in the modern world, we have de-learned the ability to develop a fever. Now, Cooley himself, he observed the spontaneous remission of a huge head and neck cancer, the size of a grapefruit in the, in, in the area of the head and neck, following a high fever called by erysipelas, which is a streptococcus infection. So this German patient, he was a German patient, his name was Mr. Stein, and it was in 1890-96 something. He had this huge cancer melt away following a very high fever. And that brought Cooley to the idea to inject fever-inducing substances, he used bacteria for this, into the tumors and the body of, the, of thousands of cancer patients. And he probably achieved the best results ever in history of the treatment of cancer. Wow. Dr. Cleef, that kind of goes against everything we've learned growing up, right? When you get a fever, it's exactly what you talked about. You, you take these drugs, you want to bring down the fever because you don't want that to affect the brain or things like that. These are some of the things that they tell you, right? If you get too hot and overheat, this can be an issue. But what you're saying here is that you got to allow your immune system to fight off some of these, these issues? Exactly. I mean, fever is there to fight three reasons, bacteria, viruses, and cancer cells. And it's a known secret that early lowering of fever during an infectious disease, um, when you may be critically ill, is the wrong thing. You increase morbidity and mortality. That means, in other words, you increase the length of, of your illness and you even increase your chance to die of that infection. Fever is like the direct tool your body has to, to fight a bacterium, a virus, or a cancer cell. Oh, that's, that, that's amazing here. You know, how will someone find this out? You know, Dr. Cleef, this, this is not like general knowledge to us all, right? It's a base, very basic knowledge, and uh, our, our grandmothers still knew it. They, they didn't have aspirin or paracetamol or ibuprofen. They just uh, cooled down <laughs> the body with, with natural means. They, they put wet towels around the calves. They, they, they cooled the head. They offered tons of things to drink. Maybe yes. if it was too high, they would even uh, put the child in a, in a, in a cool, cool water, but not interfere chemically with, it, with the fever development. I see. So it's not necessarily tr trying to keep the person cool in a overheating. It's more of the chemical induction into the patient or to the person who has a fever. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, of course. And, uh, and, and the good thing is fever is an evolutionary process which is self-limiting. In nature, there's nobody who has 
a constant fever over five days, otherwise we would be extinct. The fever, even in the septic, is peaking up in the early afternoon, evening hours, and over the night it slowly goes down. Next day it's peaking up again. So that means the organism can gain power again after a strenuous fight with, with a high fever. And that's exactly what we are reproducing in, in our cancer therapy. We are inducing mild fevers, very closely monitored with uh, monitoring devices and excellent um, nurses to watch that the patient go into that, that fever state. And we are using a specific drug for that. The drug is called interleukin-2, and it, which is a, a very dangerous drug. It's been around for 50 years. And I remember when I was a, a very young medical student, the headlines were, were full in the papers. It was the time before internet uh, cancer cure found uh, two they thought they would solve everything nowadays it's only licensed for melanoma and uh, skin cancer and and for renal cell cancer kidney cancer but in all the studies which have been done made basically by Stephen rosenberg from the nci they overlooked that next to the two major side effects of r2 which is cytokine storm also known from COVID and a vascular leak syndrome leading to severe and intensive care medical situations. The, the, the third big side effect of that drug was fever. So over tens, over decades, all medical doctors who treated patients with IL-2, which is basically a, a T-cell stimulant, T-cell T-lymphocyte, T-killer cells, and also natural killer cells, they always lower the fever. And there are published papers, and one is from 2016 in Denmark, that showed that high-dose interleukin-2 therapy, how it's called normally in melanoma, when they gave patients fever-lowering drugs versus not fever-lowering, it would double your survival if you didn't get fever-lowering drugs, and they allowed the patient to have the fever during that, that high-dose R2 therapy. Now, we are not doing the high-dose, we're doing a low-dose, but reinvented like a drug, a repurposing drug, are two at the means of inducing a safe but powerful immune response. Very nice. Now, let me ask this, because, you know, anyone that's looking at my listeners here that are listening in, with immunotherapy, what type of cancers can be treated with this? Is there a criteria? No, we, we, have, we have treated basically all, all common cancers, including lymphomas, Hodgkin and non-Hodgkin lymphomas. We haven't treated leukemias, acute or, or chronic leukemia, but otherwise all types of cancer, including brain cancer, astrocytoma and glioblastoma, pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, colon cancer, gastric cancer, esophageal cancer, ovarian cancer, cervical cancer. So because it, it's not about the cancer itself, it's about to understand how you can modulate and stimulate the innate and acquired immune system of a very patient for him to enable him to fight off the cancer. And the beauty about that whole approach is it's not a, an alternative treatment. It's a, it's a perfect add-on to any given modern chemo, radiation, or so-called targeted therapies. These days, everybody talks about targeted therapies to, to block certain molecules, for example, avastin, which um, prevents the building of new, new blood vessels, or herceptin, which is blocking the, the HER2 receptor. So what I see our approach is not an alternative quackery, to use that strong word, but a perfect integrative oncology approach, which goes together with established therapies. Well, that's good to know, right? Because 
prostate or breast cancer, and you think about that, that's one of the biggest things that they give to the breast cancer patients is chemotherapy. So to know that this is something that will complement or go along with treatment, right. you're saying it's, what would be that outcome? What kind of success rates are you seeing with this? I think when we treat stage one to three patients, which are patients which are not by definition metastatic to the visceral, that means to the organs or to the bones, this is stage one to three, we can show an over-response rate of over 80%, a huge response rate. Now in the stage four patients, when they are metastatic, we can still demonstrate an unbelievable 31% overall response rate, which is very high if you are metastatic all over all over the place. So I think our results are, are pretty promising. Yeah, that, that, is, that is high. The success rate, but how long in remission or... The, Right. It's not, I don't know, I would use the word cure or what's the length? We have to put in a, a year here and that is 2015. 2015 was the day when the, the clinical world of oncology suddenly introduced to the so-called checkpoint inhibitors. The Nobel Prize for Medicine was awarded 2018 to um, Jim Allison from Anderson Cancer Center, Houston, Texas, and to a Japanese scientist, Hayoto. And they both discovered these checkpoints on tumor cells and immune cells. And they discovered that if you develop checkpoint inhibitors, then you can free the immune response towards these cancers. And when these checkpoints came out in 2015, everybody was fascinated. And then I decided to give those checkpoint checkpoint inhibitors in lower dosages for three reasons. Number one, they are extremely expensive. They're up to half a million dollars per patient per year. If you combine, for example, nivolumab and antipilipumab, they're very expensive. The second is they are not that good. I mean, they're between 10 to 20% of patients benefit from it, which is great, you know, before that nobody would benefit from anything like, like a breakthrough in, in lung cancer or in head and neck cancer or in, in non-Hodgkin lymphoma. But still the success rate wasn't like, like the big breakthrough all over the place. And the third reason, and that's the most disturbing reason, I used lower dosages, and we are using lower dosages, are the so-called immune-related adverse effects. And that means if you take the leash of the, of the T-cell, you know, imagine that the T-cell is a, is a really powerful, angry dog in your, in your body, and you have it on a leash, you control it. So nature controls the T-cell with these checkpoints. If you inhibit those checkpoints, this, this beast can go on, attacks a cancer, which we want, but it also can attack healthy tissue. It can cause severe hepatitis. It can destroy your thyroid function. It can give very, very strong autoimmune diseases in all, in all kinds of tissues, including uh, the, the lung, which is called pneumonitis. People from that, uh, or, or colitis, you know, where, where patients have intractable di- diarrhea. And the official numbers of deaths from the checkpoint inhibitors are anywhere between 1% and 2% of checkpoint, checkpoint inhibitors that patients can die from it. And that's when we thought, okay, why don't we give lower dosages? And of course, that alone would, would result in failure of the treatment because those finding studies of uh, Big Pharma are there for a good reason. They want to find out what is the necessary doses to induce a powerful response. And so we use the lower dosages and combine it with hypersthermia. And we are the first 
clinic in the world who did that. We are the very first who had that idea. Why don't we use those fantastic drugs in lower dosages and combine them and make a synergy with hypersemia, local hypersemia, whole body hypersemia, and fever-inducing interleukin-2 treatment, which is all subsystemized under the idea of, of hypersemia. And that's what we did. And we had a home run. We have stage four pancreatic cancer patients now surviving four years. We have a metastatic, very metastatic breast cancer patients surviving six years now. Now we have, we are overlooking about 300 patients. We have started publishing single cases and also a larger retrospective analysis. So we are very happy that we have found this and we are ready to, to scale up and to get even more modern hypersermia devices in, in our departments and uh, start the clinical studies. That's kind of big here. Now, those clinical studies, are they in a specific location or were they hit here in the, in the States? How would someone find that? In the moment, we are, we are in, in the process of, of writing up the, the study plan. And, and of course, the, the two study sites first will be Budapest and, and Bahrain, where we will we'll do this. And of course, so we, have, we first have to show the, the proof of principles. And this is, I mean, we are talking about a 10-year program, but we have to start the first yeah, absolutely. Somewhere. What an amazing job you're doing out here in this community. And we're so happy to hear this feedback on what's out here. What's some options for the patients going through this? Now, is there a criteria that a patient must meet in order to get these type of treatments? Yeah, there are, there are certain promising molecular biology, let's say, findings which make a patient exceptionally qualified for this. And this is, these are things like expression of those checkpoint inhibitors in a, in a high level in, in immune, immunohistochemistry, tumor mutational burden or microsatellite instability. These are molecular backgrounds. But the good news is we have a very large number of probably the majority of our patients didn't have promising classical criteria for qualifying for immunotherapy, meaning the expression of checkpoints, tumor mutational burden and microsatellite instability. And, and yet we had these successes, which means our idea to induce fever in the patient is probably even more, more important and powerful versus you know, this, this targeted single blocking of, of a single molecule. So in order for you to find out as far as meeting the criteria or whether they're going to be promising, what you just finished saying was that that's a blood test that you normally run. Is that, is that how you do that? Not only. It's basically, we're looking at the paraffin embedded uh, tissue. It's called a technology called next generation sequencing, where you can look at 30,000 genes and get a very comprehensive understanding of the so-called tumor microbiome. We have a gut microbiome and we have a tumor microbiome. And there you can look at how and if T cells and natural killer cells are infiltrating, how is the polarization of macrophages, how are certain cytokines expressed or not, how are certain genes expressed which confer chemotherapy resistance. So it's a, it's a molecular biology approach what, we, what we're doing there. But I would also like to stress in this interview another point, and that is the work of Kelly Turner, which I think the community listening to this talk will know Kelly Turner, who is a psychologist from New York City, who um, wrote this, this famous book, Radical Remission. And she visited personally 250 stage four patients who all had a death sentence and who all 
went into complete remission and she identified nine points which were common to this group and two points was fantastic medical care including immunotherapy including radiation chemo surgery what not this were only two points but seven points were within the patients within their their beautiful mind their longing heart and their craft their willingness to really confront this challenge and, and pull out of this and this is very, very important to also touch this topic when we talk about immunotherapy of cancer in such an interview, that the, I repeat, the beautiful mind and the longing heart play an enormous role, more than we can think. And that means we can influence our prognosis tremendously with this. Nobody is to be blamed for having been diagnosed with cancer. You know, I, I met tens of thousands of cancer patients in my life. And I learned a lot from them. And the most important thing I learned is from those patients who made it or who may not have made it, you know, who, who succumbed to their disease. But when the patient would, would tell me cancer is like a wake-up call, a wake-up call from heaven, start to change your life, start taking your life in your own hands. That's what I think is the true meaning why we have this terrible disease in, in our planet to make people understand to be more in touch with themselves with their own heart and with their own purpose in life i'm so glad you touched on that because you talk about that especially as cancer coaches you know we get out here and you find out what the patient is going through after treatments right because as professionals like myself as radiation therapists you come in you treat them they go home and you really don't know what's going on with them inside their head or how they're thinking. And so to find out, you know, how important the mind, the body, and the spirit is in order for them to get through this is very important. And I'm so glad you touched on that because it's a huge role when battling cancer. It's just not coming in for treatments. It's how you think about that, how you feel about it. And you have to have that positive mindset about that. Would you, would you agree? And no angst, you know, it is, um, that's very important. Uh, the German word angst is like kindergarten uh, brought into your language also. So the paradox is that you are, I'm not a specialist in cancer. Only the patient is. A doctor is never a specialist. But I understand that if the patient is able to get rid of the angst and be full, full in the flow and say, yes, we have this thing. I confront it now and will, will take my life in my own hand. I may even travel to somebody called Ralph Cleave or whoever, you know. This is the beginning of a healing. Yes. Now, Dr. Cleave, let me ask you, how important is nutrition, right? Because it, it comes up so often. And we talk about nutrition. We talk about gut health. Thank you for asking this. The, the, the gut microbiome is more and more in the focus of, of cancer immunologists also. Also in, in primary prevention, so we, we don't even ever, ever get cancer. Cachexia is a big deal for many, many patients, you know, losing too much weight. So basically, I tell, first of all, I tell patients, feel what you like to have. Of course, I'm not talking about McDonald's, that really junk food, but you must feel what is good for you. And, you know, there's this famous book, Chicken Soup for the, for the Soul. It's an American psychologist published that. No joke. Make, I talk, talk to all cancer patients, make yourself a good chicken broth and put very importantly fresh ginger in it. Um, it takes the fat away when you cook the chicken. Um, and after two hours cooking together with carrots and 
um, onions and black pepper or black, take black pepper in it, then it, if you don't feel that you, if you're exhausted to eat all that meat, just sip the broth. This will make you strong and prevent cachexia and it will stimulate your pluripotent stem cells in the bone marrow. It's all about the bone marrow because that's where our all our immune cells are being brought up. The second um, thing I want to tell to the community is eat your chicory. There's nothing better than fresh chicory. It's this, this beautiful white, white yellow plant, chicory. Li, li, I think it's called licorice in the, in the English. And make yourself a vinaigrette with olive oil and acetobalsamico or, or lemon juice and break the leaves and, and scoop it up. This is very, very good. And of course, hands away from sugar. Sugar is a no-go, absolute no-go. Stevia is a good substitute. Many protocols we are using is using metformin, which is a type 2 diabetic anti-diabetic anti drug, which slow, slows down the uptake of sugar from cancer cells because cancer cells love sugar. That's what the, what the, what the PET-CT is based on. You know, the metabolization of, of, of sugar, you're on radiation therapies, you, you know this. So basically, nutrition is just eat consciously, eat three, four, five times a day and enjoy your food. Food is, is given by God to us, you know, to enjoy our life. It's one of the most great, enjoyable things to do in, in life besides other things. <laughs> just enjoy, you know, it's very important that people enjoy the food that is, you know, and the how nature brought us up. I mean, create an apple. Who can create an apple? Only God can. Yes. So we, oh, actually apples, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Eat your apples and eat them before the meal. You can shred the apples, shred it, let it, let it oxidize a little bit, put cinnamon on it, cinnamon, very importantly, and eat it half an hour before the meal. It's fantastic to fight acidity, you know, to, to fight hyper, hyper secretion. Um, and if you, uh, many patients are on pantolog, pantoprazole, you know, and um, uh, a proton pump in, in inhibitor, you know, every patient is on it. The, please try to get rid of it and go on cimetidine. Cimetidine is an old drug, H2 blocker, reducing the acidity in the stomach. And it has a fantastic immunological profile because it's reducing the expression of T suppressor cells, which are the counter strike of the immune system. So that is a, the important thing. So in, in the end of the day, the patient should enjoy the food, eat slowly and don't eat late. Please try to eat the latest at six, seven in the evening. It's very, because you need your good sleep and you will really F dot 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 your, your sleep if you eat too late and drink your water, drink good, <laughs> good water. Some patients, some people promote to drink water in the morning after you, you get up, drink a whole glass of warm water. This is the Ayurvedic science. Drink your warm water. If you feel it's good for you, please do it. Drink every morning, right after breakfast, right before breakfast, when you get up, a big glass of warm water. Other people recommend put some lemon in, in the water. Find out what is best for you. Thank you so much for that. It is, it's coming up more and more. And as many people as I speak to in this community, you hear so much about gut health and good nutrition. And a lot of us out here don't necessarily know what good nutrition means or how to clean out that gut or how important it is. So I thank you so much for really honing in on this subject. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, thank you. We also in, in, engage in, in a technology which sounds strange to the layperson that, that's fecal matter transplant. You, you put a small amount of 
stool from a perfectly healthy 20-year-old into your own colon, um, recolonizing your own corn with extremely healthy billions of, of fresh young bacteria. It's called fecal matter transplant, and it's um, already established in very severe li life-threatening uh, morbus Crohn or colitis ulcerosa, you know, inflammatory bowel, bowel disease. And in cancer, immunotherapy, this is now slowly also taking place everywhere on the planet. And we're also doing that. Wow. And what have you found out that with this fecal matter transplant that it has done or as far as the outcomes? You know, the thing, the thing is, our, our concept is really a truly multi, multi-modal treatment. So if you ask me, was it the fever, was it the checkpoints, was it the hypersermia, was it the fecal matter transplant, or even the, the metronomic chemotherapy, or the change of mind of the patient, in the end, what we have to do is treat the patient in a really, really holistic way. And then we can say, look, if we treat cancer, you have to take it all in. And then in the end, it's like my grandmother would say when she was baking a cake, if you put something good in, something good will come out. <laughs> I love it. Dr. Cleef, this is, this is one of the things that we talk about here. For someone to go into immunotherapy treatment, let's just say for breast cancer, because that's, that's it's one well-known, what would it, that entail? How long would treatments be? You know, what's the duration and what can they expect? Like if, you know, would they, they need to come to Budapest, obviously, or, or the Kingdom of Bahrain, right? Am I saying that correctly? I hope I am. So how long do treatments last? I mean, basically, we, we recommend for patients to come, come here for weeks. It, it, come, it entails quite a lot of preparatory work. Patients must be fit and able to travel long distance. They should have a cardiology evaluation. And to make a real, real life example in breast cancer, I think it is completely wrong to immediately cut out a breast cancer newly diagnosed, but we should treat that cancer in the body of the patient as its own vaccine. That means you should make this cancer immunogenic. This cancer is there because it is not immunogenic. Otherwise, the immune system would have detected it and, and prevented it that it would have risen. So to, to use hypersermia, and the breast is a fantastic anatomical location, localization for hypersermia because it's so-called radiotroph tissue, which means it's, it's pure perfused. You can easily heat up that, that thing. It's not painful and not dangerous. So really induce so-called heat shock proteins and make the cancer immunogenic. And then do the immunotherapy, do the fever therapy, and, and do the checkpoint implant. And then after four, six weeks, the patient can and shall have her, her surgery. That's okay, but not immediately. And of course, we have to prove that in, in large-scale clinical studies. This is what my, my critics now would say. This is an hypothesis. Can you prove it? And I think we will be able to prove it. We only can talk about the patients we have treated. Now, specifically since 2015, I think we had a, a real breakthrough. That's why they, they gave the Nobel Prize to Jim Ellison. And to, to know that you guys are all on the same team, and that's it's amazing. You know, it's, it says a lot about your, your work and where this treatment is going. Yeah, I want to repeat. I think um, the story we have to tell is really fascinating because we are standing on the shoulder of the, of the giant, and the giant was William Cooley. And, and God gave fever to, to humanity to be able to protect ourselves against virus, bacteria, and, and cancer cells. And we completely forgot that. So we have to bring that old wisdom back to humanity. 
Azekel, thank you so much for coming in here and explaining and uh, giving the patients another option. There's a lot of cancer fighters out there and just looking for answers. And so for you to come in here and, and to give us this, we appreciate it. And thank you so much. No, thank you for the work you're, you're doing. I think to make one last statement, the, the patient who is actively seeking the answer within also from God, what is the right thing to do now? They have a better prognosis and those patients will say, okay, I do whatever you say and I, I don't even care and I don't even look into this and what, what's behind it and what is my, my, my learning lesson for this? You know, again, you're not responsible for, for having had cancer, but you can improve your outcome tremendously if you follow the wake-up call. Yes. And so for everyone that's listening in here to you, what advice would you like to give them before you leave today? Wake up every morning with a very simple mantra. And that mantra is everything will be good. And love yourself. Love yourself. Jesus said, I gave you one commandment. Love each other like you love yourself. Words of wisdom right there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Cleef, for joining us here on All Talk Oncology. It's been a privilege having you. Kenny, congratulations to your fantastic work. Let's stay in touch. So again, I want to thank everyone who tuned in today. Here's where you will find up-to-date cancer discussions with industry experts and leading professionals that can help you in your cancer fight. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And until again, I'm out.